you would turn in your Bibles, we're going to be over in Second Chronicles. My wife was mentioning to me this this week that, um, and we've heard it from from many of you that you're getting letters, demands, such things to take vaccines or to do certain things, and and so we have been dealing with a number of these these things along the way, and she. She told me, she says, I don't know everything that you've been teaching because she's in over there on Sunday and, and so forth. But um, uh, we try to help correct that, and I'll show you what we're going to do with that here in a little bit. But we're going to take a break from the normal series and just go on some things that I entitled here, Faith Worthy, ba- worthy Battles. What battles are worthy of your faith? Should you take on all the battles that are that are being faced? Right now, and we're going to take a look at a particular situation that I think once you see this, you can say, oh, "Boy, I can relate to this," because there's many things that the world will want you to do, and should you fight against everything? We saw that Daniel, he took on a battle of whether he should eat the meat sacrificed to idols or just eat vegetables. His buddies took on the battle: should we bow or should we not bow? And we looked at that story. In the New Testament, there was a battle of should we eat clean foods or only what God has called or should we uh, open up to all the things that God has called clean? Don't you know that was a battle in that day? That some people thought, well, I don't know what happened to Peter on that rooftop, but I'm not eating pork. (laughs) And you know there are people in that that group and uh, they're not necessarily going to believe what Peter had or this has worked for me all these years or worked for my parents is going to keep working. And, and and they would be in that, that spot. But what battles is it that we should pick up? We have a lot of Bible heroes, and they took on a fight. And sometimes that's our model. But I'm going to show you something here in Scripture that you may not have been aware of in a story that you probably are at least familiar with. We don't cover it a whole lot of time, but we have covered it uh, at certain certain times. In, the, um, in your outline, I've I gave you a second handout, and I had actually it going in a certain way, and I just couldn't get it to print that way, so I just went back to this. So we ended up with some more room there in the bottom than, than I was intending. But uh, just giving you some of the things that we have gotten into in Joseph and and in the Honor Series, because whenever whenever we're in a story in the Word of God, whenever we're getting in, into this, I'm always looking at it. How does it relate to what we're living? And so I always try and take some of that out. So beside the main points of these things, what you're going to see is is in the last one we just did with Joseph. And I put in there the number of it. It's the, the tenth one in the series. We looked at how to present a God conviction or a God mission to the world. Because a lot of times we take on a God mission or a God conviction. And, <clears throat> oh, there we go. They're going out now. Good. We take a look at the a God conviction or a God mission. And we present it to the world the way we would present it to the church. And that's why you fail. And so we, we spent some time looking at Joseph. Joseph does not present a God mission to Pharaoh the way that God presented it to him. He presents it to Pharaoh the way Pharaoh can relate to it. When Daniel faced uh, Arioch, he gave Arioch what he needed to help Arioch how he would understand it. He didn't give him the God mission. Too many times Christians are going out and they're giving the God mission. To the world, they can't hear hear it, and once they hear that you got a God mission, they they'll write the whole thing off. Doesn't matter what you come back with. 
So if you weren't here for that, <clears throat> didn't listen to it, check that out. In the one before that, we looked at how to stay on mission. <clears throat> excuse me, how to stay on mission when your emotions start to rise up. And you know some of the things that are going on in our life here today. It can get your emotions rallied. How do you stay on mission when you're all upset? When you're concerned? When when things get flared up in the emotional realm? In the the one after, uh, before that, Joseph number seven. We look at four wrong ways to handle a crisis. And we saw that fears that have no basis, in fact, only in imagination and flesh. And Jacob was our example in that. There's a lot of times we begin to fear things that have no basis in fact. They have basis in threats. They have basis in imagination. They have basis in our flesh. And we start to get concerned. We start to direct faith towards it. And there's nothing there. So we looked at that in number seven. In the one before that, we saw how fear often shapes our behavior, our speech, our thoughts, and our actions. We saw, and we, this is a theme in Joseph, in uh, the life of Joseph, that when we take a lesser understanding, we discover that this will lead to a lesser purpose. I have got to get the God understanding on whatever it is that I'm taking on. Because if I don't have the God understanding, I'm not going to go after the God purpose. And this was uh, something that Joseph faced quite often. How we respond to pressure reveals where we are in our spiritual development and the three different responses to adversity. We saw Joseph's, we saw uh, the brothers, and we saw the fathers. And you're going to learn something from each of their responses there. And the one before that in Joseph, it usually takes longer to prepare you for God's purpose than it does to fulfill it. You will see this all through the Word of God. People spent more time preparing to do what God had for them to do than actually doing it. Most of the time, that's the case. Do not be, do not shy back from being prepared for what it is that God has you getting ready for. The one before that, settling for less than God intended. Joseph was tempted to settle for less than what God intended for him. And we can, we looked at some of those things because when you are presented with some of the, the obstacles, some of the adversaries we have, you will say, well, I, all right, I can't get what God wants. I'll, I'll settle for this. In the third one, how how the enemy or man's evil nature are behind the things that are forced. Always trying to get you to give in or to yield on your own. If that doesn't work, they'll be followed by a strong coercion. If that doesn't work, threats. And if that doesn't work, then complete and total force. The reason it doesn't start in the total force area is because the evil that they have in their motivations will be more revealed as they get stronger in the force. That's not just in one place in Scripture. That's a lot of places in Scripture. You need to know that. This is something that the enemy will do. The more we cause them to have to force the issue, the more their motives are exposed. We may know what their motives are. We may suspect what their motives are. But the more force they have to get into to get you to comply, then the more those things are going to be exposed. So we spend time on that on the third third um, lesson in, from Joseph. And in one and two, we spend a good bit of time on the four levels of understanding. In the honor series, the last time we were here, it is easier to follow wrong examples and catch bad attitudes than right examples and attitudes. You will find that in everything. It is easier to go after a bad example than it is to follow a good one. But God wants you to follow good ones. He wants you to keep on with right attitudes. It's real easy to catch bad attitudes. It's hard to maintain good ones. The winds of the world will steer you in the way of Bad examples and bad attitudes, but the Spirit of God will direct you away from them. 
in the one before that in the world today, it is common to reject the Word of God, the voice of God, and the Spirit of God. Pressure will be applied to you to do the same or risk safety, community, or unity. You must accept the science, keep worship to yourself, don't be exclusive or limiting your beliefs. Now, these are all things we pulled right from the outline that we gave you. If you want to go back and review any of these things, certainly feel feel free to, to do that. A common thing, theme of darkness. These are things that are common to the kingdom of darkness. I don't know if I fit this in your outline, but this is, this is there. It was real important for you to get this. First off, achieve compliance and increase pressure until it is yielded. That's one of the things that darkness will do. This is one of the things that is seen all through Scripture. They'll declare an end goal short of their objectives and keep changing until their real objective is achieved. This is something that they will do. Just know this is the end. This is the evil. This is darkness. This is what they will do. They will repeat what is false until people believe it is truth. And they will challenge the character with those who challenge the lie, but don't debate the truth that is on the line. We gave you examples of all these and showed you places in Scripture. In the the one before that, number 18, it is not uncommon for people to have desires for change without the needed passions to fulfill them. Many times we will say, oh, I wish this would change. Oh, I want this to change. But I don't have the passion to fulfill it. Those who do will stand out in the eyes of God and they will stand out in the view of the world. In uh, number 17, the one before that, as with most things, and we related this mostly to worship, but be genuine. It is important that you're genuine. Don't take on something that you do not personally believe, that you don't have a heart for, that is not something that has become conviction to you. To become something that other people want is not what God wants you to do. It's not genuine. To not do what God asks, that's not genuine either. And to be concerned about what others think, that is not a good way to go. People of honor do not blame God for bad stuff. That was for number 16. Dishonoring His name while honoring themselves by proclaiming how much they have wrongfully suffered. We are here to proclaim the goodness of God. And daily, we have words that give away our worship and status. Make sure that when you are squeezed, that the words that come out of you are words of worship and words of glorifying God. So that's just a review. This is just week after week. I'm always trying to get into the Word of God because I want you armed with what the Word says. Not my opinion. I want you armed with what the Word says. If I can't show you from the Word of God that something is evil, then it's probably not. I need to show you in the Word of God that it's evil. And that's why you ought to stay away from it. If I can't show you that something is good from the Word of God, it's probably not. That's why we get into the Word the way we, we do. But let's go over here to Second Chronicles. I, I um, missed the verses on this. It's supposed to be Second Chronicles 22, 1 through, um, 10 through 12, not 1 through 3. It's the last, uh, last three verses. If you want to change that on your outline, go right ahead. But I'm going to read verses 10, 11, and 12. This is in the previous chapter from the main one we're going to get into. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden from them in the house of God for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. This woman 
just give you the history of this. The reason that this woman is in the history of the kingdom of the south, which is Judah. The only reason that she is there is because Jehoshaphat, remember Jehoshaphat? Good King Jehoshaphat, you know, he's a real, real good king. Yeah, he did some stupid stuff. Really stupid stuff. God liked him, but he he missed God more than a lot of kings did. One of the things he did to miss God was he took his his son and married to the daughter of Ahaz and Jezebel. Or Ahab and Jezebel. Which was a condemned line. And he took a blessed line and mixed it with a condemned line. And so that's who this woman is. This woman who takes over the throne is a descendant, direct descendant of Ahab and Jezebel. Married to the king's son, Jehoshaphat's son, for there to be a treaty between them. So when her husband dies in battle, she decides, I'm going to take this opportunity and I'm going to usurp the throne. And the way she does it is to wipe out everyone who is a legitimate heir. That includes her own kids. Can you imagine being so bent on evil and so hungry for power that you are willing to kill your own kids because they stand in your way? That is how evil this woman is. In fact, she, she puts this together at a drop of a hat. As soon as she hears that the king is dead, she goes right after this. And she wipes out all of the royal heirs. Kills them. Now, she missed one. How detached do you have to be to not see that you missed one? That'll tell you how involved she is. And she rules this thing, this this country, for over six years. In the seventh year is when when they uh, move her out. Can you imagine a woman this evil who was a descendant of Ahab and Jezebel. You remember Ahab and Jezebel. Anybody not know Ahab and Jezebel? People who led the northern kingdom into tremendous Baal worship. The ones that Ahab, or I'm sorry, that um, Elijah faced. The one that, he's the one that Jezebel threatened. I'm going to kill you because of, uh, he murdered all the prophets of the Baal and uh, Ashtoreth. That was the battle. That was the one. And now that descendant is on the blessed line down in the south. Can you imagine that for six years, nothing bad came out of this administration? How many of you would would think that for six years with this woman running the country, that nothing bad happened? Except that they killed the... No, probably not. Probably one after another. Coming against the things of God. Coming against the people. If you are so selfish so as to kill your own kids and relatives so that you can take the throne, who else are you willing to kill? Who else are you willing to punish? What else are you willing to steal? That's how evil this woman is. Now we may think that we've had evil rulers in this world, we may think some some of the rulers that are evil. This is how evil this woman this woman is is right up there with all the evil ones that you can imagine, and she's running this country now for six years. What do you think that she had done? I put in your outline: she is the daughter of a king, that would be Ahab, the wife of a king, and the mother of a king. 
she, there's a case for her being the sister of King Ahab. Maybe not just the daughter. But um, she was at least in that line. It's been a while since I looked over how that, uh, how that case was made. But we saw here that Jehoshabeth, Jehoshabeth, uh, she's also called Jehoshaba in Second Kings. It's kind of a, you know, sometimes we have different names. I go by Stephen, Steve. They have a different name sometimes that way too. But she was the sister of Ahaziah and wife of Jehoiada and is also possibly the daughter of Athaliah. It is possible that she is her daughter. And so she steals this king, King Je- Jehoram. I'm sorry, she, um, read it over again. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah. Joash is another one of those kings that goes by a, another name. And stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. So she saw that maybe I can get the youngest one. Maybe I can get the littlest one. And hide him away. So she takes him and hides him away. It would seem that she hid him away in the house while the murdering was going on. And then, at an opportune time, she took him over to Jehoiada the priest, who is who? Her husband. She takes him over to her husband and they hide him in the house of God. Well, I put in your, a note in your, your outline, at least I think I left it in, in yours. If you were going to try and hide someone in the country who somebody somebody wants to make sure that they're dead, probably the best place to hide them is in the house of God if the people that have taken the throne are idolaters. It's probably one place they won't go. Now she tries to kill all those who had a legal right to the throne. This would interfere with the plan of God. This is a signature move of Satan's kingdom. Satan's kingdom is always coming against the kingdom of God. So if she came against the kingdom of God, in the, as soon as she's taken the throne, she comes against the kingdom of God. How many of you know that for six years she probably continued to come against the kingdom of God? And yet, what do we know that she did in the word of God? Not much. I thought that to be very interesting. What you're going to have here is an evil woman in complete power, she usurped it. And we uh, spent time before looking at people who usurped the throne and how God, and they, don't, they don't come to a good end. People who usurped the throne, when they did that, uh, they, uh, they had a very bad ending. She usurps the throne. She's not legally to be there. If she's not legally to be there, she's not following after whatever legal ways they have of doing things. Of course, they have a king there, so a king can just declare stuff. She's being the queen right now. But let's go over the next chapter, in chapter 23. In the seventh year of Jehoiada, strengthened himself and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds, Azariah the son of Jehoram, Ishmael the son of Jehonan, Azariah the son of Obed, Messiah the son of Adiah, and Elishavat the son of Zikri. And they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the chief fathers of Israel. And they came to Jerusalem. Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said to this, of the sons of David. This is what you shall do. One third of you entering on the Sabbath 
of the priests and the Levites shall be keeping watch over the doors. One third shall be at the king's house and one third at the gate of the foundation. All the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord, but let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priests and those of the Levites who serve. They may go in, for they are holy. But all the people shall keep watch of the Lord, and the Levites shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whoever comes into the house, let him be put to death. You are to be with with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And each man took his his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath, for Jehoiada the priest had not dismissed the divisions." Now, I've read over this a number of different times in the different versions that we have. And here's what I'm getting the picture of. He is trying to get as many people in here as he can without arousing suspicion. And so what he does is he has them say, look, now you, when you guys come to the time and you're to depart, your, your duty is over. And when you guys get to the time and your duty is on and you guys are coming in to take over the positions of these guys that are here, you guys that are here stay. Then we've got twice as many people, but we haven't aroused any suspicion because we have the normal people that are supposed to be coming in, coming in, but the other people just not going out. And this way we've got the most amount of people in there protecting the king because we've got to protect this guy. Now, what I noticed about this is that we went right from 22 to 23, and the same thing happens over in, in 2 Kings chapter 11. You'll see the same transition that will go on. Is that we have six years, and we're really not told that anything happened. The only thing that we can find out that did happen, because Joash is going to repair the kings or the, the, the temple, is that what had what this woman had done was she had actually torn down part of the temple to erect a house of worship for Baal. Now, why not just go find some other spot? I don't know, but we have to tear down part of, of the temple for that. If you are Jehoiada the priest, this is a real important principle. You won't find this written in the Word of God, but I think you can see that this is here. If you are Jehoiada the priest and you're one of the leaders, one of the spiritual leaders in the kingdom, and you're seeing this house of worship for Baal set up, taking over part of the temple. Would that get your dander up? Would that get you mad? Would you want to stand up and, t- and fight against this? Absolutely. Where do we have it that he did? In fact, it went on and they accomplished it. And Joash, when he comes to power, he rebuilds, he repairs the temple. That's some of the repairing that he has to do. How many other things against God do you think that she enacted? As evil as she is. How much ties to the northern kingdom do you think that she brought in while she was here? Because those are her close relatives. I bring all this up to you for this reason. What is Jehoshaphat's mission? I'm sorry, not Jehoshaphat. What is uh, Jehoiada's mission? Jehoiada is the priest. His mission is preserve the one royal line and bring him back to the place of being king. That's his mission. That is his mission apparently from God. He put his life on the line to do this. If it had been found out that he had been hiding one of the king's sons, 
he would have been executed right away. There's no trial. We don't need a trial. We have a queen, an evil queen. And she would just say, off with his head, kill him, whatever it might be. And that would be it. And of course, his wife, she would be killed too. And anyone else that was involved in this conspiracy of hiding this this baby for all these years. So he has to decide this. Do I fight all the battles or do I fight this one? Because if Jehoiada the priest fights every battle that is in the kingdom right now, he will attract attention to himself. If he attracts attention to himself, who will he also attract attention to? Now, it doesn't mean that any of those battles were not worth fighting. It didn't mean that there weren't people in the kingdom who were saying, no, do not tear apart the temple to build this foreign house. It doesn't mean that there weren't other people there. But those people coming against it would not bring the attention to the hidden king that if Jehoiada the king did. He's got to keep somewhat of a low profile. He's got to see some things going on in the kingdom he doesn't like. But if he fights all this, he is going to attract the wrong kind of attention. And if he does something and causes this heir to be to die, this is the only heir that is alive right now that will keep the promise of God going. So he has to decide, what is the bigger issue? Do we need to have the heir for Messiah? Do we have, need to have the heir for the one who will come and be the savior of the world? Or do I fight over the temple? Or do I fight over this principle? Or do I fight over this principle? Because six years, that's a whole lot of things that were going on that he would be fighting against. I'm pretty sure he stayed singularly focused. I know on the inside of him, he's bugged by this stuff that was going on. You know that that temple being messed up because of this Baal worship, you know that had to bug him. You know that had to affect him because this is a real man of God. It seems, though, that he stayed quiet. He stayed under the radar. And he let these things go. Other people may have been fighting the battles. But he stayed off to the, off to the side. I put this in your outline for you if you want to fill this in. People who usurp a throne will not govern for the benefit of the people. You go throughout history, not just in the Bible history, you go throughout any history. Anyone who usurped the throne did not govern the country in a way to benefit the people. They 100% governed the country in a way to benefit themselves. The way to make themselves rich, the way to make themselves um, have the things they wanted, whatever it was that they wanted, they made sure that they got what they wanted if they usurped the throne. But the people who came to the throne legally, not all those people were good, but you're going to find the good ones are in that in that group. Usurpers are never good. There's a reason why they usurped. Now the Levites and the chiefs, they have a role here. The Levites, he's, he's uh, lined it out for them. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to go go on. I don't think he involved too many people in this plot until we got here to the end. Because the more people you involve in something, the more likely it is to get out. They probably just had this baby growing up and it may just be that he and his wife know who this is. It may be that there are a few others. I don't know. But now he's involved in other people. See this kid right here? Seven years old? That's the king. 
This is the one they didn't get. And we're going to put him into the throne. Now two, he didn't have too much of an opportunity. And he has to wait for this child to get to a certain age in order for this to work. Can you imagine Jehoiada? You're seeing the country going downhill. You're seeing these people making decisions that benefit them, but not the people in the country. That their prosperity is going down while the people in charge, their prosperity is going up. They're putting more and more people into places of authority that will undermine the things of God. Now, I know that's true. You won't see it written in your Bible, but I know it's true. Because as soon as Jehoiada dies and King Joash is still in power, do you remember who came to him? How many remember who came to him? The people who came to to Joash are the people that were in power behind the scenes and just let everything go until Jehoiada was out of the way. And as soon as Jehoiada is dead, they come to the king and they steer the king away from the things of God to go after the Baals, go after the idolatry. They steered his heart away so much that he actually went and killed the sons of Jehoiada the priest. He killed the sons of the people who helped him. Now, if you look at the story, you look at the relationships, he also killed his own relatives. Can you imagine people buried in the government that when the opportunity came, they came out of the woodwork and they turned his heart. If you wanted to find this out, just read a couple of chapters ahead from here. Either in Chronicles or in Kings is going to be in both. And you will see that as soon as Jehoiada dies, this phrase is repeated quite often. Joash served the Lord all the days. You can probably fill this out for me. All the days of Jehoiada the priest. And it's very specific about that because as soon as Jehoiada dies, the roaches come out of the woodwork and they begin to expose themselves for who they are. They know Jehoiada's got power. I can't expose myself now. I'll be removed. So they stay hidden. And as soon as that opportunity, they come out of the woodwork and they take it over. Now, we spent time along uh, last year, I think it was, and we showed you how this happened a number of times in Israel's history. There were people that operated. They're not, they're, they're not part of the royal line, but they got into places of power and they stay there until an opportunity and they steer the country in the way of evil. It's happened numerous times in Israel's history. It's nothing that is new. In verse 9, So Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains of hundreds of the spears and the large and small shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of God. And then he set all the people, every man with his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along the altar by the temple, all around the king. And they brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, gave him the testimony, and made him king. Then Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, Long live the king. Jehoiada and who? His sons anointed him and said, Long live the king, the very ones that he will put to death in the days to come. Now you'll see here in Chronicles, it doesn't mention this quite as much, but he actually gave swords and armament to all the Levites so that everybody around the king has a sword, has a shield, has, has things to defend with. As well as these captains, uh, captains of hundreds, these are actually men of war. They gave them some, some things too. And it said in verse, verse 9, 
in Second Kings, Second Kings 11. I just I wrote this in there for you so you could see it. The captains of hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. How often does that happen? They did though, and he laid it out. This is what you need to do in in Second Kings chapter 11, verse 12. It says as they're as they are doing all this. Let me read it here in Chronicles first. And they brought out this king's sons, put the crown on him, gave him the testimony, and made him king. Then Jehoiada the sons anointed him and said, Long live the king. That's all we have there. If we go to Second Kings, we find out they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. So they're making some noise. They're clapping their hands. Long live the king. Probably shouting. Probably making a, making a ruckus out there. So then look what happens here in the next one. Now, when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. When, when Athaliah heard what? Heard the noise. What is music to some people's ears is noise to another. How many of you parents can relate to this? You hear your kids listening to some, some stuff, they call it music, and you're saying, that's what? How many was just noise? That's just, that's just noise. I don't know what that is. Cause you don't, you don't appreciate it, you don't like it. When we hear things that we don't like and we don't want, it's noise. But when it's stuff that we want. You see, for some people, what's going on this day is music to their ears. We have been waiting for this day. We have been looking for God to come and deliver us and to set us free from this Queen Mother who usurped our throne. And is doing all these things that we don't want done. We've been waiting for someone. They're probably praying, Lord, send us someone that will help us. Send us someone who will bring this about. They don't know what's going on in the temple. They don't know what Jehoiada has going on. They don't, they're not aware of that. They can't be made aware of that. But they're praying. And they're praying. God is already doing some things. They can't see it. But they're still praying. Asking God, God help us. And when they see this come about, and people declaring, here is the king. Here is the real king. Here is a descendant of David taking over the throne. Oh, finally, we've been praying to it. We didn't know this was coming. And it was music to their ears. But for Athaliah, she heard the noise. It's noise to her. Just understand, you may look at some of the things going on in our country and you may say, oh, that is music to my ears. Other people will hear it as noise. And other things that other people say, oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. I'm glad to see these kind of things being enacted to you. It's noise. That's why the difference is there. When she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance, and the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets, also the singers with musical instruments and those who led in praise. So Athaliah tore her clothes and said, Treason, treason. I've given you this principle a number of times. You probably have heard it from other places as well. The people who shout the sin are generally the ones who are guilty of it. You will see this throughout the Bible. You will see this in the life of Jesus. How many times did the Pharisees shout the sins that they were guilty of? She is shouting treason, treason. Who committed treason? She did. But now they want to accuse others. This is the tactic of the enemy. You be careful when you watch some of these things and these people shouting and hollering, treason, treason, or they're shouting and hollering, whatever it is, whatever sin they want to declare, more than likely... They're the ones that are guilty of it. The people who are not guilty, 
and are actually pointing out, they will say, look, we are citing evidence here. We're showing you this how, how this happened here. They're showing you evidence. Other people, they're just shouting it. We don't need evidence. We just need to accuse you. That is a tactic of the enemy. Whenever you see it, you know the kingdom of God is not behind it. There's only one kingdom that gets behind that. She tore her clothes. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is awful. People don't tear their clothes anymore, but they sure do some things. So she comes into the house of the Lord. All the people of the land were rejoicing. They're blowing trumpets. They're glad. I made a note. It is not hard to persuade a multitude. You can persuade a multitude to do a lot of things. Did not the Pharisees persuade a multitude to shout, crucify him? Did not they persuade a multitude to say, give us Barabbas? Did they not persuade a multitude to come after Paul and Barnabas? Paul and Silas. Even when Barnabas went out on his own, they persuaded a multitude. It's not in the book of Acts, but history will tell us they persuaded a multitude. It is easy to persuade a multitude. But just because you have a multitude that is persuaded does not mean that it's God. We talked about that in one of our things of recent times. I forget which one. but Verse 14, And Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds who were over, set over the army and said, Take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not kill her in the house of the Lord. So they seized her and she went by way of the entrance of the horse gate into the king's house and they killed her there. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king that they should be the Lord's people. He said this right out loud. Anyone who follows her, kill her. If you were going to follow her, would you follow? Could you see that there's a there's a movement right now? There's a wave and you get in the way of that, you're going to die. What would you do if you wanted to follow her? If you were on her side, what would you do? Stay back. And they did. And they waited for Jehoiada to die. And when he did, they came out. Jehoiada was not quite as smart as Jehu. How many remember Jehu? King Jehu? He actually is the one who, a couple chapters before this, got a lot of this started. He's the one who killed the king in the battle that uh, once she saw that he was dead is when she made her move. But Jehu was one. He said, tell you what, my predecessor served God a little bit. Ahab, he's just a little tiny worshiper of of Baal. I'm going to worship him a lot. Let's get everybody together and let's worship. And he got everybody together and he got them all into the room and he got the army to surround them and he comes on out and he says, if anyone gets out of this room alive, I will require your life for theirs. And they slaughtered every single one. He even gets up there and says, make sure there's no worshipers of the Lord. I remember that story. Make sure there's no worshipers of the Lord in here. We don't want any of them. We want to keep this pure. Don't let them infiltrate us. And he wiped out Baal worship from the northern kingdom. Yeah, I think if Jehoiada would have gone a, a similar practice, he might have been able to weed out some of these people. But as soon as they saw that, they hid. 
And Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king that they should be the Lord's people. If you are going to force people to be the Lord's, you will get people that are not sincere. You cannot force people to serve God, nor can you force people to stay away from God. These are people who were okay with how things were. Now all of a sudden, all right, we want to change. We're fine. We'll be okay with that too. Have you ever shaken your head and wondered, how is it that everybody can be on this side and then all of a sudden somebody makes an announcement and says, oh, we're going to do it this way now and everybody switches? How, how do you do that? Just yesterday you were saying that's not right and now you're on this side. How do you do that? Yeah, that's how people are. That's not how you should be. But that's how people are. Don't be one of those people. And all the people, verse 17, went down, went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. All the people. Look at that. All the people. The people were just there worshiping last week. The people who had gone into the temple of Baal helped build it. Probably helped destroy part of the temple in order to build this thing. Those people are now involved. Because who, who was involved? All the people. How fickle people can be. Don't be amazed at how fickle folks can be around you. They're, they're saying this now and then all of a sudden they're saying something different. All the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. Also, Jehoiada appointed the overset of the house of the Lord to the hand of the priests and the Levites, whom David had assigned in the house of the Lord to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing, as it was established by David. And he set the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord, that, so that no one who was in any way unclean should enter. Then he took the captains of hundreds, nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the house of the Lord, and they went through the upper gate to the king's house, and set the king on the throne of the kingdom. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword. Now put yourself in these people's position. Everybody's happy. Everybody's glad. How many of you right here would be glad if we have a seven-year-old elected president? Anybody going to be among those people? You got a seven-year-old, he's elected president, you're all happy. How many know that seven-year-old is not running the country? Who's running the country? I'll give you one guess. Jehoiada. It is good to have someone run the country whose heart is for God. And Jehoiada was one of those people. But you get somebody who takes on the same position without that heart and they will corrupt things I don't know how much of our history they teach anymore in school but if they if you were in school when I was and they were still teaching American history you would know that George Washington was offered to be king over the land and George Washington probably would have made a great king because of his heart because of how dedicated he was to God. Don't listen to what they're teaching about history now about George Washington. If you want to read some stuff about George Washington, let me know. I'll give you a couple of uh, books you can go out there and read. One of which is Peter Marshall's phenomenal book. You want to find out what that heart of that man was, not what people want to say it is now. But he said, no, we did not. Something on the effect, we didn't fight this revolution for another king. 
And so he would only become president. And they made sure that the president didn't stay in office forever. Because they knew what would happen. Maybe this person can be trustworthy, but it doesn't mean the next one will be. And eventually somebody will get in there who is not. In order to get people to be swayed this quickly, there's one thing going on in the land that I, I can assure you is happening, even though it's not mentioned in the Word of God. And I put this in your outline for you. There was probably great dissatisfaction in the land with how things were going, so change is welcome. There was probably a whole lot of people who were very dissatisfied with what was going on in the land. If you've got somebody that corrupt in the leadership, what do you think the court systems were like? You remember one of the weaknesses in David's kingdom was the court system. And Absalom played on that weakness in order to get people to side with him. Oh, if I was a judge, I would side for your case. She's probably has done some things with taxes to get more money to come to her, which meant less money was going to the people. That would have been dissatisfying, wouldn't you think? There's a lot of things that are going on that are in operation simply to help those that are in power, not those that are doing the work in the kingdom. So there's a lot of dissatisfaction. And even people who may not serve God may say, I may not serve God, but I know this is not a good way to go. And even they are looking for a change. And so the people swung. It's not going to last long. They're going to be ready to swing back in just a little while. Just keep reading in the chapters and you'll see. In 1 Peter 2.9 it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't ever lose sight of this. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. What that means is you are king and priest. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. You are God's own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness. We're not supposed to be in the darkness. We're not supposed to be not seeing these things that are going on into His marvelous light. Now, I put this in your outline. Not everything that is wrong is fight worthy. That's a lesson you're going to have to learn. Not everything that is wrong is fight worthy. But some are. There are some things that are fight worthy. Don't be moved off the things that are fight worthy to take up a fight that's not. Because all that it will do is keep you from your ultimate purpose. When God gives you wisdom, don't move off it. Stay with it. There are some people in this world who walk in wisdom that other people don't. If I have wisdom that you don't, I have to walk in line with that wisdom. You don't. 
If you have wisdom that I don't have, you have to walk in line with that wisdom because God gave it to you. God revealed it to you. The Word of God tells us, for him who knows it to be sin, it is sin. If I know something to be wrong and I go after it anyway, then I'm wrong. If you don't know something to be wrong and you go after it, then you're not at fault. That make sense? Pick. I'll give you five things here to keep in mind. In order to find out what fights are worth me fighting. What fights are worth me fighting. This is a bit of wisdom I hope you get from this. Jehoiada, as much of a godly man as he was, as much as he was God's man for the hour, and as phenomenal as he was in what he did, did not fight every battle going on. He picked certain ones. And he had to let some things go. Because if he didn't, he is setting at risk what he has to do with his king. If he's out there fighting everything, she's a queen. She can just say, off with his head. Now who's going to bring about the plan of God that God put on him? That doesn't mean that nobody else can fight that. It just means he probably can't. Because if he does so, he's going to be moved away from the battle he's supposed to fight that no one else can fight. First off, pick your battles wisely. That's number one. Pick your battles wisely. You've got to do this with kids, right? How many of you, when you had kids, knew, all right, I am not ready for that battle? And so you just kind of pretend you didn't see it. Ever done that with your parents? You know, I saw that, but if I acknowledge that I saw it, I had to deal with it. So I'm not going to acknowledge that I saw it, and we're going to kind of let this go. Because I'm not ready for that battle. I've already fought some other battles. Whatever it might be, <laughs> pick your battles wisely. You know, when you have the kids, if, if you're going to pick a battle, you got to finish it. You can't let the kids finish the battle. you got to finish it. If you're not ready to finish that battle, don't start it. That doesn't mean you walk away from every battle. It just means you've got to know which ones. First off, pick your battles wisely. Secondly, follow your spirit, not the crowd or the pressure. Follow your spirit, not the crowd or the pressure. The crowd may not just be the people of the world. You can sometimes get a crowd of people of the word who all feel, well, we need to stand up, we need to do, we need to come against, we need to not... But that may not be where God is convicting you or God showing you to go. It may be. But don't follow the crowd. Follow your spirit. You see, when God shows me something down in my spirit, I go with it. I don't care how many people are going with it. He showed it to me down in my spirit. I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to fight this one out. That's what we had to do. Follow your spirit. Don't follow the crowd. Don't follow the pressure. Don't be one of those who just swayed because everybody got up there and said, crucify him, crucify him. Don't do that. I heard there was a, uh, there was an experiment and I had the name of it. I'm thinking the experiment, I think it was called the Ash Experiment or something like that. Anybody familiar with that? Am I getting, getting that right? Alright, here's what they did. It was a psychological experiment and they got people into the room and what they did, it up on the room, up on the board, they would have these lines and they would have a number underneath each of the lines. One, two, three, four. And they would say to the group, which line is longer? 
Now, unbeknownst to the people in the room, at least to one of the persons in the room, this was not a psychological test of the people in the room. This was a psychological test for one person. Because what happens in the room is that every single one of those people in the room was an actor. Except one. And they conducted this experiment quite a few times. And what they would do is they would not have the person who was the real subject of the experiment answer first. They would have other people. And so the actors, would, with great conviction, would say, number one. The next one, number one. Number one. Until you get to the spot where it's the, it's the real guy, and he goes, it's two. Just shocked. What's going on here? It's, it's two. And another one would say number three, number one, and just keep on going. And they wanted to see how long this would take. And so after, it didn't take long, two, three, maybe, I don't even think it took up to four. After a while, the subject of the, of the experiment went with the crowd. Even though they knew they were picking the wrong number. They'd rather go along with the crowd than to stand up for what they knew was right. I think it was called the Ash Experiment. But you can look it up and you can, you can see it, hear it for yourself. Um, this is a known thing. If you can get a group of people to all go in a certain direction, even the people who think it's the wrong direction will go. They'll follow that way. That's what happened with many of these countries who oppressed people, who murdered people. This is how they got them to go along. If you get enough people going along, this is what they'll do. The crowd is too easily persuaded. Number three, look for anchored people. Look for people that are anchored. Look for people that are are rooted. I thank God for a bunch of anchored people here in the church. It's great just to sometimes, you know, you get out there in the world and you're listening to all this garbage, all this these people with, with things and 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 so forth. I was um I was standing in, in, in line for something uh this week. And um, <clears throat> I don't have a mask on. Everyone else did. Now, I'm not telling you you can't wear your mask. I'm just I did not have a mask on. And there was a lady, two people up from me, and she looked back at the guy behind her, and she says, thank you for standing back. He was six feet back behind her. Now, I'm trying inside not to laugh. I think this is just kind of funny what's going on. And then she looked at me. Oh, that's it. Oh, it's on. <laughs> I, I, it's on. And I just looked right at her. Smiled big. No scowl on my face. Just, just smiling big. And she looked back. She's trying to get me to, and, and I didn't. And she eventually, she looked down. She turned away. And you know, about a minute later, she looks back again. Just stares at me. <laughs> just happy. You know, it's just whatever. And, uh, oh, it was fun. <laughs> My mom tells me when I was growing up, she said, of all the kids, I never had any doubt that you would not go with the crowd. She said, she told that to me. I said, well, I don't like going with the crowd. I kind of, I kind of get a rush out of not going with the crowd. I, I picture myself, if I was in that experiment, I could see myself doing this. I could see myself standing up. It's two. How many of y'all want to say one? <laughs> Come on. I know you want to. You want to say one, don't you? You are not. <laughs> 
I can just see myself doing that. But um, anyway, look for anchored people. Look for people in your life that are going to help you be founded on these things. The world wants to pull you in a certain direction. You don't want that. You want to get people in your life that you can come on back to and they say, the Word of God is true. Jesus is Lord. And you stand on, on those things. Just come on back to the faith principles and, and get going on, on those. So first, number three, look for anchored people. Number, number four, don't worry about tomorrow. Didn't Jesus tell you that? Don't worry about tomorrow. People are going to be telling you, Oh, this is coming. Oh, this is coming. Oh, this is going to happen. And he wants to get it all threatened, worried about what's going to happen. Don't worry about tomorrow. Didn't Jesus say, today's got enough concern. Take care of today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's not here. When tomorrow gets here, we'll deal with that. Because then tomorrow will be today. But tomorrow is not today. The devil is trying to get in your head. He's going, what are you going to do when this happens? Just tell him, it hasn't happened yet. When it does, my spirit will tell me what to do. And just go along. Be all right. Be good. Your spirit may be telling you to get ready for some things. If your spirit says, hey, get ready, this might be coming about. My, uh, my running buddy, John. I thank God for a running buddy who's on the same page as I am on just about everything. I mean, we just, we're going out there, we run, and, and uh, we just kind of sharpen yourself up on, on these things. But he's, he's concerned his company is going in a certain direction to force certain things that he's not ready to, to go with. He says, I'm, I'm thinking that I may have to begin to, to look for another company. I said, well, if that's in your spirit, go for it. Your spirit's telling you right now to go get ready for that. If that's in your spirit, go for it. If it's not in your spirit, it's just something that's worried about. Don't don't fret it. Somebody just out there to you want people in your life to help you with, with those kind of things. So, don't worry about tomorrow. It's not here. The enemy loves you to worry about tomorrow because Jesus said, "Don't do it." So don't worry about tomorrow. Last one: trust in the Lord. Just trust in the Lord. The enemy wants to get you to shake your trust. But don't do it. Now, when we have an un- unlawful administration, I don't harp on this thing a whole lot, but you all know I've laid it out for you. I haven't changed my viewpoint. We have an unlawful administration right now in my opinion, in my view. And I have a little bit more besides just my opinion on it, but that's how I look at it. I know we have an unlawful administration. They're going to do unlawful things. There will be much that's going to go on against the laws, against godly principles against what is right and against what is beneficial for the land. This will go on. Now, we already showed you, Jehoiada probably didn't fight every battle. Here's something else that I want you to get. Do you know that Daniel probably didn't fight every battle either? How many battles did Daniel fight? As far as you know, there was uh, one, maybe two. You can put a second one in there. How many battles did his buddies fight? One, they were both fighting the first one together. It was just a personal battle. We don't want to eat this particular stuff. But as far as the nation was concerned, there's not a whole lot in there. If you've got an idolatrous nation that you are serving in, do you think there might have been some more battles? Were there some things that they said, that God said, look, don't worry about this one. 
you don't follow along, but this is not your battle to fight. I don't know. I think there, there probably was, especially when they changed hands and they went to Nebuchadnezzar's son and he took the throne and Daniel's now in the, he's just kind of an afterthought. I bet you there was some stuff in there. Jesus didn't point out everything that was not in line with the word. How many know when Jesus walked into this earth, there's a whole lot that was not going on according to the word, according to the pattern of the word. You know that Jesus didn't go around and point it all out? He didn't go around and point out to the Pharisees, you guys are doing this, 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 and this. He didn't point out everything they did that was wrong. He had to let some things go. The people tried to get him to get on the side that taxes are wrong. Didn't they? They tried to get him to pick up that battle. Taxes are wrong. What did Jesus do? It's not my battle. He didn't fight it. He had a great answer for it, but he didn't fight that battle, did he? He let it go. When the woman was caught in adultery, we don't see that Jesus even fought the battle. Hey, but you guys who caught her. Hey, but you guys who set the trap. There's a whole lot of things that Jesus did not fight in his day. Why? Because I'm on a mission. This is what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes we think we have to fight every single battle. You may be fighting some battles that I'm not fighting. I may be fighting some battles that you're not fighting. Now, John the Baptist may have fought every single battle. When I look at John, I kind of think he kind of, he's one person, he may raise it up. Whenever there's a battle, he's in there. And he died. <laughs> very unceremoniously, very quickly. Um, I, I'm not telling you that he was wrong in that or, or right. I'm just saying he had more of the personality. He's going to fight every single thing. He sees somebody, he's missing God. You! You! You're a sinner! <laughs> But Jesus didn't go around doing that. So he's out there to make the way straight, so I guess he maybe had to do a little bit more of that. Paul didn't come into town and condemn everything in the town, did he? Peter didn't go into every single town and condemn everything they were doing either. You can go through that with the rest of the disciples. You have to look around. You have to decide what battles we're going to do. There's probably things that Jehoiada didn't like. But he has a purpose. We've got things that are going on. Some people are being coerced to do a virus or a, a vaccine. Other people are, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that in my body or I don't want to go along or whatever it might be. Just understand, we told you this before with the, the vaccines. I'm not going to look down at you that got it. I'm not going to look down at you if you didn't get it. It's your choice. It's, it's, it's for you to do. You have to have the conviction because you're the one who's going to face whatever it is that you face. And if you don't have the conviction to do one or the other, you're going to have the conviction to not get it. You're going to have the conviction to get it because there's probably going to be people around that pressure you and do things. Don't give in to pressure. I'm not going to pressure you to get it. I'm not going to pressure you not to get it. I'm going to tell you what I know. But I'm not, it, it, whatever you decide, you may tell me what you decide. Some people have told me, well, we decided to do this, we decided whatever. That's fine. I'm never going to hold it against you one way or the other. 
Because I'm not fighting your battles. You're not fighting my battles. And I'm not going to put you under any pressure to, to do this or to go in any, any particular direction. It's, it's up to you. And we think, you know, right now, you know, Max's masks and vaccines and stuff, they're kind of at the forefront of, of things, but there's other stuff as well. And in the future, there's going to be more. You don't have to decide. Don't do things because of pressure. Pressure from Christians, pressure from the world. We're not here to be moved by pressure. We're here to be moved by my spirit. So I get in my spirit, what am I supposed to do? And I go with that. I got that in my spirit. You didn't get what I got in my spirit in your spirit. I got it. <laughs> I didn't get what you got in your spirit. You got it. That's what you got to follow. And just, I, I just rest and, and relax in it. And, uh, and, and be good. Now, understand, not every Christian has to take on the same battles. I hope that's the, that you can see that here today. We don't all have to take on the same battles. Jehoiada did not take on all the battles of the land. Because to do so would compromise him in the one battle that only he could take on. Don't fret. Don't have worry or anxiety about anything. If you decide to go out there and get the vaccine and you hear all the reports about all the things that are going bad with it, you just, just, just risk. Now, God has given me some things on this when He gives me wisdom on, on some of that. If I go against that wisdom, I can't claim, well, God, you're just, you just protect me, do, do whatever. If He's given me certain wisdom in, in the thing, then that's, uh, that's not something that you can do. Just like, you know, I've told you some of the stories and, uh, just in, in running. When God gives me certain wisdom and says, Steve, do this or do that. If I don't listen to it, I can't claim, well, I'm healed. Because I didn't listen to his wisdom. I got to listen to his wisdom. He's given me that wisdom. If he gave it to me, I have to follow it. And that's what we, we need to do. Make sure that you get it from God. Listen to, listen to what he has to say. He'll lead you in your spirit. He won't get you all upset. See, the enemy wants to come along. I didn't tell you this story. Maybe I'll tell you this story. I've been debating whether I should ever tell you this story or not. But um, some, somewhere along around last year, uh, I, I was a running fiend. I mean, I would run with John, and then I would I would take on the rest of my workout. John John didn't run as far. He'd only run around seven or eight miles, and that wasn't enough for me. So I would run a couple of miles before I would meet up with John. I'd run with John, and then I'd run several more miles afterwards. He'd always be taken off of me. He said, "Were you going to go run some more?" I said, "Yep," and I'd go out and I'd run some more. And uh, I was doing this for a long time, and then I felt in my spirit back off a little bit. So I did. So I backed off just a little bit, and I, I, I took some, just give it the body rest. Because I had been going full board on this thing for like six months. Just going out. Down in my spirit, I said, just, just back off a little bit. So I backed off a little bit. And as I was backing off a little bit, I began to feel something that was not right. It was not normal. And I didn't know, I didn't have any wisdom, any direction on what to do with it. And I was already backing off some. But as I was going on through the month, backing off some, and, and just because that's what my, was in my spirit, not backing off because of anything else, this came to me. You see, you ran too much when it was doing good, and you ran it into the ground. 
Now, I heard that, and it hit me. I don't mean it hit me one time. I don't mean it hit me once a day. I mean it was several times a day for weeks. It kept hitting me. And I, would, and I didn't accept it. I was still wondering. But I go to God. God. God, if I missed it, if I didn't hear your stop sign to back off, I mean, I was, when I tell you I was running, I was running miles. I was having people half my age saying, wow, you are really going to town. <laughs> and I was. And I was having fun doing it. But, um, but this, this was, it was hitting me. Now, I didn't accept it in my spirit yet. I said, God, if that's true, I will repent. And I'll take whatever it is that, that, uh, that I did to myself. That's fine. But I, I didn't hear that. And it was, it was a battle went on for months. But I never got to the place where I accepted that's what God said. And it wasn't anything that God said. And I eventually was able to say, see, that wasn't God speaking that to me at all. That's the enemy trying to get on the inside. God never spoke that to me. He never said that. And so, you know, we, we built up the mileage back again. And um, taking on, running some miles before John, running some miles after John. <laughs> and we're, we're doing just fine. Just because it comes to your head, just because you hear it, doesn't mean it was God. Just because it makes sense doesn't mean it's God. You've got to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you. Because the Spirit of God knows where He's taking you, where He's directing you, where He is ushering you into. And He says, I need you ready for this battle. Drop that one. Or the enemy might try and get you to drop the battle that God wants you to take on to pick up something God never asked you to take on to begin with. Take your spirit. Follow after your spirit. Listen to what your spirit is telling you. And do not ever put what you get in your spirit onto another Christian. That's not for you. You are not the Holy Spirit to them. You may be completely convinced that this is how God is leading me and what God wants you to do. But it doesn't mean that's where he's taking that other person. You don't know what the battle is that they're facing. There's a whole lot of people probably wanting to tell Jesus, Jesus, we need you to take on this battle. Jesus, we need you to be coming against Rome. Jesus, we need you to come against taxes. Jesus, we need you to come against the people that are breaking the Sabbath. Jesus, we need you to come against this cause and this cause and this cause. He's not taking them on. Not that they aren't good causes. He's taking on the ones that his father gave him. You make sure you take on the cause that your father gave you. That's the one that's important. You stay with that. You see, if I know down in my spirit, I'm fighting this battle because God gave it to me, I can handle the abuse that comes my way. If I take on a cause that you want me to take on, I don't have that same convincing. And I won't go through the battle quite as well. pressure is bad when it comes from the world the pressure is also bad when it comes from the church don't pressure people into doing what they are not ready to handle it may be that your walk is at a point that you can sustain whatever it is that you're going against but I do know this that when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stood up against the golden image 
There was no one else standing with them. They were the only one who fought that battle. But they fought it, and it changed for the entire nation. They brought about change for everyone, even though not everyone was willing to stand up and fight the battle with them. Don't you go pointing fingers at somebody else. You ought not to be bowing either. <laughs> it's not for you to do. But if God gives you a conviction, if God gives you a battle to fight, then you fight it. And you do not be concerned with what the world wants to throw at you. Because if you fight God's battle and the world throws a fiery furnace, a lion's den, a queen telling you she's going to kill you, a pharaoh who's ready to wipe you out, an army of Egyptians that are in hot pursuit, it makes no difference what force comes against you. You are fighting the battle that God gave you. God will show up. If it's just you and a Goliath, God will show up. If it's just you and an army of Egyptians, God will show up. Don't be fretting. Don't be concerned. Don't follow after the way of the world to accomplish the things of God. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I know that there are battles that we will face because we are standing for the kingdom of light. And the kingdom of darkness is gaining supremacy all over the world. But our God is greater. And when our God leads us in a direction, He has empowered us to accomplish it. I thank you for it. We will not fear any man. We will not fear any woman. We will not fear any leader. We will not even fear any law. If we have God's purpose and God's direction into what we shall do, we will do what he tells us. We will fight those battles that you give us and we will fight it with everything that we have. But we will know that you may not give our battle to someone else. But if it's our battle, we will fight. We will remain in that battle until we are victorious. We give you the praise and the glory that you will not forsake us. You will not forget us. If you lead us in, you will lead us out. Give you the praise and the glory for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you get some clarity on whether you should fight some battles, whether there are some things that you ought to stand for or not. I just wanted to spend this, this one week on this. We'll be back on the, on the other things. Friday night, though, we're going to have a prayer and praise service. Pray about some of the things that are coming against our country. If you want to be here for that, 7.30 on Friday night. That will be going on. And uh, we'd love to have you come out and be a part of that. Have a blessed rest of the week. And we will see, see some of you here on Wednesday.